Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we are continuing our coverage of the Disney Plus series Loki, Season 2, Episode 2, Breaking Brad. So this this should be a lot of fun to talk about. Really enjoyed this episode. We do have some guests, and we do have the super producer, Jake Christie, with us. Jake, how are you? I'm COVID-free and ready to talk about this episode. Well, there you go. How about that? And of course, a uh, returning guest, returning pal. He's a, he's a bit on a pitch count today. We have Anthony Mays, aka Corn Puzzle, Cinephobe, all that produces all these things in the whole nine yards. Mays, how you doing, bro? Pitch count. All right, so I have to throw a hundred the entire <laughs> time, and then you're gonna you're gonna replace me early. I got it. It's like starting a game with the reliever. Well, uh, the openers don't even get me started on how much I hate baseball now because of the way that they do the opener thing. But never mind. Hashtag wash agenda. We have another guest returning friend of the show, Rod Morrow, a.k.a. the black guy who tips. What's going Rod, on, everybody? how you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, just, a, just a reminder to everybody, patreon.com, MC University Power, you could get our Bonus content, $3 to get into the Discord and our entire catalog of bonus content. We have a subscriber mailbag on the way this month. We have Fate of the Furious on its way this month. Just to name a few things, maybe a little good beef too. A little good beef too. But let's talk about Loki. And as customary when we have somebody on who has not been on as of yet, we asked them about the general thoughts of the, the previous episode and Rod... What did you think of the season premiere of Loki? Uh, I liked it. You know, I'm glad that it's back. And Oh, wait. Is my thing recording? I don't see it moving. Am I good, Jay? Uh, Yes, I see it moving, so you're good. All right. So, uh, (laughs) sorry, the producer part of my brain popped up for a second. Um, But, yeah, so uh, I liked it. You know, I I liked the Loki season one, so I was kind of happy to be back in the world of Loki. I think just as a, a small thing, I noticed the practical sets. And I like to see people moving around things that are actually there. <laughs> so that, that, that like went a long way for me. Uh, it felt like a return to like, oh, some people with a plan are making stuff at Marvel again. So I enjoyed it. Big, yeah, big, on that uh, tip real quick, the production designer yeah. is one of the few carryovers from season one to season two and actually gets to direct an episode later hmm. in oh. this season. Oh. Nice, nice little nugget. I mean, you, there. you can tell it's because it's a good, yeah. such a. It's not just that it's real; it's such a cohesive vision of what everything looks like. Yeah, yes. All the stuff um, with I like mean, the the sea yeah. green and the orange this week, where like you could just feel like there's even a visual plan in place. Yes, for sure. And this episode to me was so much so different from episode one in the sense that episode one was basically we're coming off of season one's finale we're getting used to the characters again and kind of a little bit chaotic following loki this one i feel like they slowed it down and normally when you slow things down you wonder like how is that going to work out but i felt like the i felt like the dialogue i felt like the performances in this episode and really the character work intrigued me a lot maze what did you think of this episode generally Two things I want to hit. First, on the production design tip, I've friggin' loved the automat with all the key lime pies. That's awesome. Yeah. That was a great visual look. It's also fits into the 
dated aesthetic of the TVA. I mean, it's supposed to be timeless, I guess, because, you know, it's unstuck in time or whatever, but there's very much like a 50s, 60s aesthetic to it. And then second of all, what an episode for my man, Rafael Cazal. Mm-hmm. I talked about him a little bit last week because I was just excited to see him from Blind Spotting with the V Diggs, the movie and the show. Oakland native representing for the Bay Area, got his Disney check, and he did not miss out on an opportunity to really go toe to toe with Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston in this movie, hold his in this episode, hold his own, and give us some character development for a hunter, which I didn't really think could be done like we've had b15 around for a while i don't feel like i really know that much about her but i feel like i know a lot about him after this episode i think that is a great way to put it i think when you talk about those conversations that he has with mobius and loki kind of pushing both of them and pushing for the first time in the series seeing mobius a little off kilter i found fascinating and kind of reversing the conversation that that took place in season one where Mobius is kind of like really interrogating Loki and trying to get into his mind psychologically. Felt like Loki was doing the same with Mobius here, trying to figure out why are you not interested in trying to figure out what your life is. And that aspect of the character and dialogue I found very interesting. Jake, you know, in terms of this episode, that part specifically, we can stay right there. How did you how did you receive that? I thought it was a really necessary and well done illustration of a thing that's been like the you had a life on a timeline has been a thing that's been said since the end of last season. It was said a lot last episode, but like it never really was made real. Like Hunter B15 had some visions of her real life and we saw Ravona was a school teacher. But it's really nice to have a character actually like emotionalize that and say like i did go back and live my life like they because because now that we're allowing branches to go off like you have a choice now and i think that what it kind of revealed in mobius and 100 b15 to a lesser extent is that like it almost what it felt like is that mobius was gripping with the fact that his whole pursuit of trying to fix this or find sylvie is kind of in a way of distracting himself from the actual question that was brought up like that he clearly doesn't want to think about what his life used to be and um x5's whole existence is challenging him on that it's like no but you could do exactly what i did and what does it say about you that you're not and i thought that it was it was a really well it was a really nice performance and it was well done given the fact that like he didn't have much to do last episode and whenever you're a character that's coming in in season two of a show that already is very talky and already has really strong characters, I think it's you have to really do well to make uh, make an impression. And I f- felt like it didn't um, it didn't it, it all felt earned. And I really I liked the reversal a lot of Mobius saying he's an asshole and he'll try to manipulate you, and then it turning out that Mobius is the one who got manipulated. Yes, yes, I, I I like that part too. Rod, what did you think of not only that performance, but I think at first when when he, when when Brad in or X five in this case is going at Loki, questions Loki's hero journey, which mm-hmm. I appreciate because it's easy to go from hey Loki turns into this good guy in season one and he's 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 good now and that's just it no let's sit let's sit and ask the question why is he all of a sudden 
turning around and trying to be this good person and continuing on that journey. I appreciate the fact that they went that way. What did you think of that part of it? Uh, I'm a sucker for those type of moments. Uh, I've, I'm one of the last people still watching The Walking Dead. And I like when someone brings <laughs> God up bless that. You, one. Thank you. I'm the I'm literally the Walking Dead. I'm the last of us. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like when they take they took characters and they like flipped them. You know, so you have Negan, horrible bad guy for a couple seasons. Now he's a protagonist. I love it. Makes the world feel lived in and real when someone brings that up. And the things that they did with Loki this week made it feel like that first season mattered and it it had real consequences. Even the idea of everyone going. We're all variant. We have timeline homes. I want to check that out. Someone needed to make that choice to make that real because then it lets you know that, you know, beef it, uh, it lets you know that other people are also making that choice every single day they wake up and decide to still work at the uh, TVA. Um, and then, of course, acting performance wise, amazing. I love the writing in the interrogation scene. Because, you know, the full knowledge of that's a person that used to do that job and knows all your techniques and how he's pushing back and he's literally interrogating them. They're the ones getting upset and needing to leave. Uh, I just thought it was just amazing writing and so fun. And uh, Brad is just a, a character that, I mean, if you go back and find out you were a movie star. Dude, it's like, 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 like I can get get into that timeline and been like, I'm not branching anything. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just I totally enjoyed this whole trip. Yeah, and that and that's the thing with with uh, Mobius that intrigued me so much, and he just doesn't want to face the question because of the idea of which he mentions to Loki later. What if my life was good as opposed to what if my life was bad? And that is when you think about the TVA specifically in season one and how they all talked about, it's almost like a religious type of thing where the, the, you can make a lot of allegories to that as far as like their dedication to the timeline and protecting the timeline and all that stuff. But what if this forbidden fruit, which is your life um, elsewhere on a regular timeline, that carrot Mobius doesn't want to reach at. And I just love that conversation because Loki's like, it's all right. Like you, you could look at it and you could take a journey there and like see that, what it is. I like that Loki can't imagine. In his mind, he wasn't even imagining the idea that it could be good. He was like, "Oh, you just don't want to know how bad it was because his life has been bad." <laughs> so he's just like, yeah. "Uh, so like he likes the idea of the TVA and starting over, low key, <laughs> no fun." But he he kind of likes that idea because you know him. The happiest he seen was with him and Sylvie. Last year, like, why don't we just stay here? So, yeah, I, I love the juxtaposition of Mobius and Loki. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. Mace, when you when you kind of evaluate everything that we've seen to this point in the series and then kind of juxtapose that to what we got here, what are you looking at in terms of not only performance but kind of where this can go? Because I think this was one of the instances in where you get a, a, a episode two where you kind of have already established you've established the main players you've established the characters you kind of put some of the main plot to the back burner even though you advance it a little bit how do you feel about where this potentially could go as we know mobius and loki and their relationship and it seems like it's very strong it, it's it, and, I, and i have such 
I, I don't know. I was very giddy watching that episode because this, this philosophical shit is where I like to reside when it comes to the thespians. I feel a little torn about this episode, I guess, on, on the whole. I think what Jake said last week about it being a really good episode of television, having stakes from beginning of episode to end, and kind of having a self-resolving conflict while also moving the bigger plot forward. I don't feel like this episode was as successful in that respect. I really liked everything from X5. But then it felt like we super rushed through the general docs thing. That's fair. One scene show up and we take them out, but they already killed all the timelines. And, you know, I mean, I was listening to the watch and Andy Greenwald can be pretty pessimistic on this stuff. But his main thing was that Hunter B-15 gave us the stakes by saying, all the lives, all the lives in the timeline. And then this week, we kill, in quotes, all those lives. And the way that we express that is by having them all stare at a screen with some pixels disappearing. So that felt yeah. a little flat to me. Yeah, that was the weakest part of the episode to me. I think that um, I, 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 it must be a budget thing or something went wrong, but I just don't know how. It, it's such a layup to me just to have like five scenes of universes disappearing, like just like a scene of someone at a park like disappearing. You know what I mean, like it, right. it, 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 it was always such a small thing, but I think that would have gone such a long way. And especially because we established the one branch that Sylvie's on, and assuming that that. I mean, knowing that that didn't go away, that means mm -hmm. that the only other universe we know of is still around. And so, like, we actually didn't lose anything. As far as we have yeah. seen, we didn't lose anything, which I think was, yeah, that was definitely the weakest thing of the episode was that the thing that is supposed to be the larger stakes was kind of yada yada And obviously, like, I don't mind it that much because the stakes I actually care about are Sylvie, which I think is why they yada yada it. But I did notice that too, where I'm like, we're just good. It's just going to be pixels on a screen that's all we're gonna get you know it's interesting when that happened when i was watching it 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 reminded me as opposed to like another series that did this well was when see the cw had their dc big crossover crisis on infinite earths and they had collapsing realities and collapsing worlds and they just disappeared but they showed that they showed that a couple of times to kind of put over the devastation of what something like that could look like. So I think that, that that's a fair point that I didn't consider um, because sometimes you could do more uh, visually as opposed to just telling us as this show is tends to be talky talky. Uh, Rod, what did you think of that point? Because that is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, I, I totally take the point. I think um, at this point I've seen so many world ending events and universe dust thing i don't care <laughs> I, like literally i i was like cool no we don't have to do the depressing time of that um but uh looking at the screen of uh, it visually gave me the point which is like oh they pruned all this stuff because i'm not gonna lie like i was a little confused first episode and then the way they jumped into the second episode without like a transition scene it was just like we're already here we're looking for him and i was just like wait what what happened again i thought we were looking for sylvie and then you know, when you see the pruning on the screen, it is like, oh yeah, that that's what they were doing. Uh, they just deleted a bunch of universes. I think they said like thirty percent of of those of those universe, like which is a, a ton, but not the majority. Um, so yeah, I, I think 
it didn't that that part didn't bother me as much. I think also with it being six episodes, they're probably just speeding up certain things. Like let's just get this get through this. And I think that tends to be the issue, um, which we've discussed a lot on this show uh, as far as the MCU TV shows. When you are reduced to six episodes and you're kind of in that box and you can't really wriggle out of that box, there are going to be instances where it will either feel rushed or it is rushed. And Mm -hmm. in this case, the argument can be made that it is rushed. We'll talk more about the TV side later in the show, but... It this kind of still speaks to that, even if the quality of the show is high. So that that part of it is is fascinating. But um, there's a there's a little plot point I wanted to hit because, you know, they're doing the temp pad stuff, and and at first they they hit they they talk to Obi. Obi just passes them the passes them the TVA book, and obviously he's he's busy doing other stuff with the loom, and we got the temporal overload, and things are going kind of crazy over there. So, I posed last week a theory that somebody had that Obi might be kind of working in league with He Who Remains in in this instance. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm firmly on board with that at this point, but I am a little bit more open to it now that in just the way his kind of mannerism and the way that he talked to Mobius and Loki this week as in you guys go handle that while I worry about the the bigger the bigger situation and now just with what ends up happening with him is that he he tries to put the 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 temporal loom together and the problem is it can't be used because it, it's um it's aligned to the DNA of one he who remains which means they're going to have to find a variant, a.k.a. Victor Timely, which I'm guessing we'll get that next week. But I, the Obi stuff, I feel like they're doing something a little in- interesting with him. Um, Jake, I'll start with you. What, what, what do you think about Obi's potential role and how that might actually expand more than what we think? So I didn't pick up on any of the stuff you're putting down, to be honest with you. Maybe yeah, just okay. because I found it fun. Like I thought that the whole bit where he was like, do you think this is more important than uh, keeping all of the looms together? I thought that was just a funny joke. I didn't think that he actually mm-hmm. was like. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm not open to the idea of it, but I, for me, I need to see more. At the mo- currently, it is in like the Darth Jar Jar territory where it's like fully a <laughs> it, just because it can't be disproven. Like wow, just because you AC, can't get off the pod, dude. <laughs> he just sudd you, dude. I didn't say it like that, but it's just like at the moment it is a it is a theory that I can't disprove, but I have not seen any affirmative evidence for. And I and, and don't get me wrong, I don't believe in it yet, but it is interesting. I do feel like it's like this little thing in the back of my mind, which I'm just tucking away for now. Yeah, and like if it turns out that it, there is something to it, you can go back and look at these things, and it's like, oh, there was evidence, but. Without that, it, it, it's circumstantial evidence that it only is evidence if it ends up being true. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, Maze, I'll ask you, like, in the sense of Obi, not even necessarily to what I'm talking about, but just his role in this episode. Um, it's it's a little briefer. I appreciate the fact that he and Casey got together, and Casey's a big fan. That was oh a lot boy. Of fun. But um, to Pillboy. we didn't give him any love last yeah, week. Yeah, I honestly, shouts to I didn't even mention it because you know, everyone knows I care about billing a lot. The fact that he's a series regular now, good for Eugene Cordero. We got to oh, give yeah. him up. Hey, oh, hey, man, 
but yeah, yeah, Maze, give me give me what you got on on Obi in this episode, and and kind of it seems like he and uh, he who remains, uh, or Victor Timely, might be having a little meeting soon enough. I mean, I definitely think you're right on about them needing Timely for that reason. Maybe there'll be another reason that comes up. Maybe Sylvie's stone will have something to do with that. Well, to be determined. But as far as OB in this episode, I mean, I'm not seeing a whole lot of personality. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's more or less a very friendly robot in this role. So I could see him helping he who remains. I don't see him aligning with he who remains he seems to me like he'll just do him do his job no matter what the circumstances are i did like the teaming up with Pillboy. i did like when he handed them the manual and said figure it out i wrote this shit a long time ago i really don't have time for this you can do it i didn't think of that as nefarious i thought of that as this is way below me and how dare you i already wrote a book about it <laughs> well you know this is what happens when you don't go see the man for over 100 years mm-hmm. uh, you don't pay attention to him he's very he feel probably feels a little slighted mm-hmm. uh, rod how about you like how have you taken uh kihi kwan's performance so far in this series well number one i have a totally different reading on ob's book thing i think it was earnest 100 percent like I'm asking you a question. If they would have said, work on this instead, he'd be like, all right, I'll work on that. I do feel like he gives friendly robot, you know, helpful friendly robot, almost like an artificial intelligence or something. But um, the thing for me about that character that's curious, everyone else in the TVA has seen that have been reset multiple times. Yep. This man's mm-hmm. name and face are on the manual for the TVA, like mm-hmm. on the TVA handbook. If it feels like he almost exists like the TVA as an entity outside of a time with the actual, he's the only one that has like an actual timeline. Like they talked to him in the yeah. past and he remembered it in the present. That's yep. why that we discussed this in- last week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why that yeah. character is intriguing to me. Not whether or not like, I don't like as a personality, no offense to the actor or the character. I'm not as intrigued about his person. Like, does he have a family? Is he, where, where was he come from? I'm more intrigued as to like, why did, why did they not reset you in a way that they reset right. everyone else? Can they not do it? Are you, were you, did you create all this? Are you the first guy, you know, the whole thing from inside out. So those are my questions for him. Not, not really, uh, you know, character, like personality based. No, for sure. And it's one of those things where, it, I do feel at least this, that I feel like that explanation of why his memories seem to just be like intact and there is something interesting that I feel like they're going to pull on at some point. Yeah, but, he'll turn um, it yeah, evil we'll or not. It, it could be cute. No, it doesn't even have to be that. Yeah, No, no, right, I'm just, right, I'm just right, adding exactly. to what you're saying. It could be cute, but it's not as necessary as they need to explain to me how this man has this intact timeline and no one else does. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. The other thing that we get in this episode is the uh, reemergence of Sylvie. We see her in McDonald's. Uh, we get the we get Jesus the stare down. Christ, with... the product placement. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I thought it was something last week. We're spending a whole freaking couple <laughs> scenes 
at the McDonald's? We got well, do have thirsting mom- after an apple pie. They do have the new mambo sauce and sweet and sour jam dipping sauces for the McNuggets right now at your local McDonald's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not getting paid. Body, if, podcast, I swear man. to God, if you do, if you got ad dollars for that, we better get a cut. <laughs> I'm just saying, have y'all had y'all break today? <laughs> now, the thing is, I do find it very realistic that Mobius loves the apple pie. That, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. You, Me too. I mean, honestly, ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving it. <laughs> what was? Uh, let me let me go. Let's go around the room real quick. What what is y'all's go to McDonald's meal from back in the day? If if y'all, I don't know how everybody's goes uh, now, but um, I'm a I'm a I'm just a Big Mac and fries guy. That's mm. that was my that was always my thing. Jake, what what you got? Uh, in my pre celiac days, I was chicken nuggets always. No, oh, there you go. There you go. How about you, Mace? I mean, I really only just go there for breakfast. I like uh, the sausage egg McMuffin. That's my style McMuffin. One, the most consistent yes. in the business. The sausage egg McMuffin don't miss. Um, yeah. uh, for me, probably McNuggets with sweet. And, I mean, with the hot uh, mustard sauce. I, mm-hmm. I like that, mm-hmm. and you can use it to dip with the fries. So it's like you're kind of getting them both. But don't sleep mm-hmm. on the fish fillet. Mm. <laughs> shout out to fish fillet shout out to fish fillet but yes so so sylvie we see her we get the stare down jake i gotta ask you how do you feel about this little this little uh stare down uh tension thing that we got here that was a, that was a lot of fun i yeah, yeah i I, I, I really enjoyed it i thought that um you know she a lot of times in movies and tv shows characters are like you know, I don't want to see you, or you're the last person I want to see, but they don't really play that. Like, I really did get the vibe that she was like, you just ruined everything, like, I had a decent life, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, but of course, there still is the chemistry there, like, that's the thing about actors, is that, like, the writing can have nothing in it about chemistry, like, electricity between two characters, but if the actors have it together, then, like, you don't need to put it in the writing, like, it's already there. And so, like, they, it, they there's just, the relationship is so lived in already that, like, the conversation where Loki is clearly, you know, trying to get trying to get through to her about the severity of what's going on. And like it like that's what he's saying, but it obviously is so loaded with like but he more than anything kind of wants her back too. Like mm-hmm. and that's what I liked about it. I like I love when the conversation is the text of what's being said is actually not what's going on. And that's gonna be called subtext. Uh and so I just love that conversation because it was that she saw through the bullshit. She's like, yeah, you're talking about this, but you like want me to be back doing adventures with you in the TVA. And that's not what I want, you know? And I don't know, like the whole, the, as much as the product placement did did make me roll my eyes, I do think a fast food restaurant in Oklahoma is a really nice setting for the conversation because it could not be further from a time dimension hopping environment. You know what I mean? Like it is the most suburban normal thing. And, um, my very important question is like, how did she get a car? Like, did she have to like, did she like get it like used in cash? Cause it's, she doesn't have a, a social security number, you know, like she doesn't have an ID. Like how is she? Li- I'm sure a little, I'm sure some magic probably took place. You know what? That's fair. She probably used some magic. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah, enchanted yeah. somebody. Yeah, it, it, no, exactly. And, and Maze, considering Sylvie's decision and whatever, what happened at the end of season one, 
which led to all the these timeline branches and everything messed up. She seems pretty cool with the idea of, for at least presently speaking, of I'm just gonna let this go. What what did you think of her playing off that decision and talking to Loki about it? I needed more to buy mm. it. I wasn't buying it. I mean, I did spend an inordinate amount of time wondering if it was better to be working at McDonald's in 1982, if the food was better in 1982, just really kind of walking through that whole situation, trying to put myself there. Would I want to be there? And the short answer is absolutely not. I don't want any part of this. Like it's gotta be one of the worst existences. It made me think of the end of Barry when Barry's in the middle of nowhere and Sally Mm -hmm gets off of work doing some dog shit job and immediately chugs a fifth of vodka because she hates her life so much. Mm-hmm. If you'd given me that Sylvie, not like, Oh, everything's great. I'm friends with my 16 year old coworker who's waiting for his mom to pick him up. It's like, all right, I'm not buying this. I need more. And you know, as alluded to earlier, it's only six episodes. So I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of what Sylvie's been doing there. I feel like she's almost immediately going to leave. And I don't have a full handle on where she's at with the he who remains stuff with the TVA stuff other than TVA bad. Yes. Which, well, which you mentioned what she does as far as leaving occurs at the end of the episode where it's clear that she uses a temp pad to travel. Now, Loki did mention to her that he saw her in the future. And I'm wondering if, her with that information wants to find out why. So I thought that was there. really dumb how she handled that. Mm. Everyone in this show knows about time travel, knows that it's possible. She should know that if she's at the TVA in the future, guess what? You're going to be at the TVA in the future. You can't <laughs> be like, I'm not going. <laughs> but I'm going. <laughs> what, what are we doing? That's what I mean. It just felt like it felt like a hard reset on her in some ways. And I guess that's because she accomplished what she set out to do last season. But yeah, I mean, not enough time with it. Need more next episode. Wasn't totally on board with it. Mm. And Rod, as far as Maze's point goes, what did you think of the the whole Sylvie explanation leading to what she does at the end? Sylvie kind of reminded me of uh, the movie American Beauty. Um, when Kevin Spacey goes into McDonald's and says, give me the job with the least amount of responsibility possible. And mm. that's how Sylvie came across to me as like, I'm happy here because I want the opposite of what the first season was about being at the crux of the world, making all these decisions. I hate the TVA. No one should be making decisions. I don't believe in fate and destiny. That's all BS to me. So I'm going to go to the place none of you would come looking for me, a fast food place in the middle of wherever. And unfortunately, I feel like that's the opposite of what made that character interesting in season one. You know, it's like, and I'm sure she'll be back in the mix of it because, like, she does kind of go, like, TVA, all this needs to go. And I'm assuming at some point she'll be activated into Less, I'd rather just destroy the whole ability to control a timeline thing. Maybe that's why she's there in that flash forward. But, um, you know, we have time to see that. But um, the real product placement people should be concerned about is making McDonald's look like it was ever a real job. Because, like, <laughs> she like she had a car. Her coworkers are nice. Like, you know, everyone's, everyone's super is clean. It, is the 80s just better for this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Is that peak McDonald's era? Right, like. 
Everyone's worried about the, like the apple pie or just the McDonald's brand. I'm like, they're acting like working at McDonald's is viable. That's like she would have 12 roommates. Like cut to that. Cut to she's living mm. in that truck. There we go. Now we got a show. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, nah, I, I, as a character, it just felt like they wanted to reestablish like this is where she's at. She don't want nothing to do with this, which is, you know, a trope that always ends up with the person being a busybody by the end of the season. So I'm sure she'll be activated yeah. somehow. Right, right. And so you guys mentioned it earlier, but we get the docs um, bombing the timeline immediately. And it it does happen like in a flash, like you're going from mm. you're going from Oklahoma to wherever that wherever that situation is taking place. And it kind of happens like quick, quick, quick. And then it gets resolved and then she gets carried off and. I would like to know what let because they were looking for Sylvie. I thought that was what they left to do. Well, that's that was the lie. That that's the thing that wasn't made clear is that they not, they weren't actually looking for Sylvie. They were placing bombs along the timeline, which that's why I think that like I think that the the reason why I think the pacing of it was bad is because they were a victim of trying to ha- of engineering a twist when like this should have been a plot line that was going on concurrently the whole time so we could see it as it was happening. I didn't need it to be a twist. I didn't need it to be a twist that the person on the council who clearly was not into the idea of letting the timeline still exist wanted to bomb them. Like, I, she, you know, like, I, I, and then and the fact that the twist is revealed by Brad just like giving up the information after being threatened, like, we should have been cutting to them like even if it's even if you couldn't tell what was going on cutting to like TVA people in secret meetings or like like there was no reason to only have it at the end cuz then you need to explain the plan as it's like already happened and then that's more telling and not showing and so like always and i think there's a thing that i'm a broken record about like twist if a twist doesn't come along or if a twist only can exist because you're withholding information then like it's not really a twist worth having. Worth having. They're ju- they were just not showing characters for a while, and that, yeah, like I said, the fact if you saw episode one, you'd be yeah. like, yeah, of course, Kate Dickey's character is gonna do some bad shit. She's not on board. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I think up to that point before that happens, I'm pretty cool with what I'm getting as far as the the the, the dialogue and the talking scenes and. Uh, Mobius and and everything that we got with Loki there too and that is like the only thing that kind of makes it have a hard like it takes a very hard uh right or a hard stop in that sense and then even after the fact where where you know Sylvie does go with them but then she leaves again and it's kind of just like it throws things off and um not necessarily like an uncomfortable ending but just an ending that kind of like leaves you off even though I feel like for the most part, I liked what I saw. So I guess to kind of spin this forward a bit. Next, it's it's clear that there's two people that we're going to see. We're going to see Timely and we're going to see Ravona. Those are the two. Those are the two uh, two people that we're going to see. So Maze, before you go, I wanna I wanna just get your thoughts on what you want to see next with those particular characters as it seems like we're going to jump into that soon. I mean, Ravona's clearly next. She finally dropped a pin, you know, Pillboy picked up the GPS. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Are we going to pick up with the school teacher? Are we going to go somewhere else? I'm intrigued by that. I mean, you know, 
you got to start clock watching, man. Next episode is going to put us halfway through. So if we don't give Victor timely or at least allude to him by the end of next episode, that would be very disappointing. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, I mean, you know, this, this felt like a little bit of a, little bit of a letdown episode after what I thought was a pretty good premiere. So I, I hope next episode is a banger. I hope we get all of the pieces in play and I hope we start to figure out like, other than I guess the temporal loom collapsing, what are the stakes right now? And, you know, Sylvie, Sylvie's not on board with any of it, but it's like, we got to fix the loom and we need Renslayer and we are going to need timely. So let's, let's get him in action. That's a that's a very fair point. And the last thing I'll mention on that part is that you're the timeline is now seemingly the the prune the branches are pruned. Yeah, they fixed it, yet, right? So do yet, you need to fix the loom now? That's what I'm saying. Yet it's still collapsing. Uh, so that part is a little confusing as well. Well, presumably if they don't keep bombing them, they're gonna keep growing again. It's just gonna be a problem again in like a month. Because mm-hmm. remember fair the way enough. that's the whole thing is that it, it's exponential. So mm-hmm. they do fair still enough. need to fix the problem. Yeah, fair enough. But um, but Mr. Mays, uh, we appreciate you for joining us again on on this episode. Um, any any little plugs you want to get on before you get out of here? Thanks, y'all. There's a CT five that I'm about to go record. It comes out on Monday. It's top five animals in cinephobe history. So wow. Uh, well, I feel like I know what number one is. You feel like <laughs> I you feel do. like I know you what number like one do. is. All right, thanks, yeah. guys. All, All right. right. So yeah, we. So considering what we have with now, what we I would guess is Victor Timely and Ravona kind of being the the big players coming up soon. Uh, Rod, I'll start with you. What what do you want to see, mm-hmm. and what do you think we'll see? Uh, so first of all, I, I just want to say I agree with Jake completely on the doc stuff. General Docs um, was that brad she was talking to last week when she did the head-to-head thing and she was yes. whispering or yes they yeah. changed his hairstyle which was a problem yeah. well that's also kind of weird though it's a little bit like, of this is a little bit of a throw off everyone else executed her plan but brad you know but he's like there's no real mention like he just of, rolled out and then we don't know how much time passed because right. all of a sudden he's like this this big like he action. wasn't going to destroy his timeline it seems it seems like he was very much like mine can keep going yeah. i don't know about you guys but um anyway uh, <laughs> i just thought that was like a point someone should have brought up during in the episode you know um as yeah, far no, as like fair. ravona i mean i'm interested to see what she's doing but not beyond anything other than just like uh if there's a deeper story with her, like, I, like I'm not interested, like mm-hmm. personally, like what we're going to learn about her is a, what was her, what is her branch? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't care. <laughs> I hate the, it's the, it's the, it, to me, it's the Kang stuff. That's like really, yeah, what that's all I want to know. Why are you and Kang? Why were you cool? Why are you no longer cool? Why did he erase you? What do you know? That's the kind of thing yeah. I'm interested with that character. Um, as for any of the variants of Kang, I mean, I'm interested to see, when and if they'll show up, how they'll use them. Uh, and because, you know, it just on the meta version of this, it's obviously just like Jonathan Major's case in real life is hanging over the whole yeah. MCU. So I'm like, how big did you did you change some things? Because this was the first episode. I mean, I guess it's only second episode, but this episode felt like, oh, there were post-production changes made to this episode. Like the way you jumped into it, the way some of these plot mm-hmm. lines are clearly like on the back burner and then they there's they're not talked about and then all of a sudden for five seconds they're talked about and then it's over 
it just mm-hmm. feels like maybe some some cuts happen before after you know like after the show so uh it makes me wonder about that like if there'll be cuts made to like anything involving him or minimizing him as a character in this show so just to add to your point on that there was an interview with the executive producer of uh, of Loki and he said this was the first MCU show where there was no additional photography um there's it's possible they may have cut stuff out yeah, that's but they what didn't I mean. add anything else and you I so, feel like I feel I, I, yeah. I just want to say I feel like things were cut not things were added like yeah. that's it this like sometimes you can feel like oh changes were made this just feels like mm-hmm. something came out of here and y'all didn't really go back to smooth it and you just were like F it. They'll they'll understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the point that you made earlier about the jump into this episode was a little uh, jarring, I guess would be the word. Yeah, yeah it's, it wasn't clear how much time it passed. And right, I think so right, it went right. on, you get the vibe. It's been like a couple months, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. But yeah, like, they didn't that, establish you know, that at all. I felt like I right, missed right, something. Yeah. Like, honest to God, like yeah. you watched a little preview coming in. And then they're just like, all right, man, we're here in Hot- we're in London. We gotta get this guy. I was like, wait, what what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. How about you, Jake? Where do you stand as we're, believe it or not, a third of the way through season two? Yeah. Where do you stand on everything? Um, I wanna see what the larger, you know, Kang of it all is gonna be in the show. Um, and I wanna have a clearer idea of how Sylvie's gonna be involved. Um because I think that, like, I think they need to kind of get her back involved, even though she clearly wants to not be. Um, and I also, I think that her whole thing is that, like, I, w- I didn't say this in the conversation just because y'all were having, going back and forth. But, like, I, I'm a, whenever a character's motivation doesn't seem to make sense, I ask myself, wait, what if they're lying to themselves? And I don't, I think she's lying to herself that she thinks she wants to be working at McDonald's. In the same way that, like, workaholics will retire and be like, all I want to do is just sit and work on a sailboat. It's like, no, you don't. You don't want to do that. Um, that's Pat Riley talking about the, the house in Malibu. Yeah, exactly. As, like, as you, person, don't, no, you don't. As a person who had a job at McDonald's, let me tell you, we were all lying to ourselves, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, like, it's also, it's not, it, she was working in, like, Oklahoma, too. Like, no disrespect right. to the state of Oklahoma, but, like, come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm from Florida, I can say that. Um <laughs> Because if, if she was work, if she if if it said Parnagorda, Florida, nineteen eighty two, I would have the same things to say. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to see how Ravona comes up. I think the thing that's interesting about Ravona is that mm-hmm. she did have her mind wiped, and I think a I think that you could that was not actually said in the text with the conversation mm-hmm. with Mobius and Loki, but I think it's a very interesting one. Is like, and this is the thing I actually think about a lot. This is like my metaphysical question. I wonder a lot. It's like. Is your humanity is are is a person not just a combination of memories that they have? Like, if you lose all of your memory and right. you have no idea, are you, how, you, you like AC? If you had your memory wiped, would you have any personal connection to the version of you that was previous? Why would you? Like, you have none of the same experiences, and so like Ravona presumably learned that in a past memory version of herself, she was in cahoots with Kang. But what does that mean to her, right? She has no memory of that. The human being she is now, the makeup of her experiences has nothing to do with that. And so, like, I think that you could ask a lot of interesting questions. Like, 
is, is there a humanity you have deeper than just your experiences? And that is a question that, I mean, I think almost any com- any movie or TV show that deals with amnesia or memory wipe in some way asks that question. And so I want them to explore that because I think that this show has the ability to explore things like that. And I think with Mobius, they can do that too because that's kind of what he's saying. And what he's basically saying is that, like, he doesn't like, put in these words, but, like, the version of me that's on the timeline other than just looking like me has nothing to do with me because the personality I have in my head has nothing to do with that. And so I want to see those things explored because like I said, it's my personal, that, that is like the metaphysical question I think about a lot. Yeah. I think, you know, when you mentioned the Mobius stuff, I think that is something that they will go to. And I feel like that is something they will pull on that thread and we will get more on that because it was a nice little tease. Now, I do think about the Ravona stuff with either He Who Remains or whatever variants. Before the Jonathan Majors case issue happened, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see, because it happens in the comics where different versions of them always end up together or always end up in each other's orbit. So them having something detailing that and explaining that would have been intriguing. Now I'm like... I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how that's going to work. But, you know, we'll have to see how they they navigated that that issue. Because the Kang story can't be told without Ravona and vice versa. So mm-hmm. that has to be an element that comes into play. And with everything hanging around that entire story and that entire subject matter, you know, wh- however they tell it, will be looking at it a certain way. So yeah. that that part of it will will to see how that plays in the grand scheme of Loki uh should be interesting, but I I will say like the highlights to me again were the Loki Mobius conversations. There was so it's really good stuff and I thought and I thought X5 really like pushing both of them was was some of my favorite stuff in the episode we'll see where this goes we'll see if they ramp up and how things kind of uh get into a more clearer view as far as what the overall storyline is because you know there's as always in the six episode things there's a lot to do and time is you know running out per se so it, it should be fascinating um any final thoughts on on this episode and where we're going or are you guys are you guys ready to um tackle this uh, little article that came out i do want to say something real quick which is that one i think the show could and probably will get into the huge violation it must be to have your memory wiped because right now Mm -hmm. i feel like everyone's pushing through because it's a chaotic situation so they're like what are we going to do about the timeline the the tva is about to basically explode if, if we don't get everything right and no and like everyone seems to not even be taking time to consider the trauma Right, and but mm-hmm. every person's having a trauma response. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, trying to work through it, trying to control everything, running off to live a, a life on a branch timeline. Like, uh, Ravona mm-hmm. just literally dipping on everybody. That that to me is the center thesis of what this season could be about, uh, depending on what they want to do. Um, and then just I wanted to highlight just Brad as a character, as as like all knocks to this episode aside, he carried as an actor and mm-hmm. the scenes and the great. writing, yeah. the way they use that character to push the buttons on other characters, which really is, that's what gave Mobius a real motivation was it started yeah. in that scene with Brad called him nowhere, man. And, uh, and, and the same thing with pushing against Loki, 
that was all that stuff was brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, like I'll, I'll just I'll I don't want to disrespect another show, but just these are the things that make me want to push through for a show, as opposed to like when we were talking about Secret Invasion, it, it felt. Yeah. It felt like there wasn't a clear vision. You may not execute a mm-hmm. vision perfect, but this one at least feels like they have a vision for these six episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think also it helps that when you have established these characters already, it allows you to be able to play with them in different ways. And you could take some TV-like swings that you would not normally take because... Um, I mean, both Loki and Mobius are very strong-built characters at this mm-hmm. point. So, like, they're well-defined. So seeing them kind of put into different situations was was a nice touch. And hopefully we get that with Sylvie going yeah. forward. But, um, Rod, you mentioned Secret Invasion. Secret whoa, whoa, Invasion. whoa, you didn't ask me my final thought. Oh, I just want to say, I just want to say, in the scene where they're eating key lime pie, one of my biggest <laughs> uh, bugaboos in all of uh, TV and movies, they so clearly were not actually eating it. Every single time they had a forkful, it was just a whipped cream. Oh, Rod is nodding. I assume you noticed it too. The pot, they didn't weren't clearly weren't eating it. And I, I understand that's because they don't want to have to reset and get a new piece of pie. But like, guess what? You're fucking Disney. Mm-hmm. Cut out some VFX shots and make ten pies. You know what I mean? Stop C- it. CGI the pie. I want like use yeah, that would be, be awesome. <laughs> you use so many practical sets. If y'all CGI the pie, I wouldn't even be mad. I'd be like, look at how they did that. That's how you use the money. Also, that pie was a color of green key lime pie. It never is. And that's what made it look more delicious to me and want and I think that's why I watched every bite. Yeah. Same. I'm like, damn, that looks like you know what? Speaking of McDonald's, that was like shamrock shaped colored pie. Yes. Like that's what that was. <laughs> Shout out the pie. Shout out to pie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good key lime pie. Listen, man. You can really you can really go places with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Loki. It's uh, you know, you realize you get into these series and it's like, oh wow, we're we're moving along real quick. So we'll see how that plays out. Rod mentioned Secret Invasion. Uh Secret Invasion was part of the subject of a of an article released by the Hollywood Reporter earlier this week. The main subject of that being Daredevil, as apparently Daredevil had shot for a couple of months um, in New York City, and Kevin Feige looked at what he's what they had and did not think it was up to snuff. So the writers were let go. Everybody's out, and we're finding new people. And apparently, they're gonna keep certain parts of of the show of what they have, and kind of you know stitch that together with whoever they decide to hire with that and as the article goes deeper there's a couple of things that stood out to me one being oh wow we figured out that maybe we should have tv people do tv oh my god i can't believe why didn't we figure this out earlier you mean to tell me like a uh, executive producer of movies should not be the one running a television show that's a that would imply that like for the 70 years the television has been a mainstay that writers have been running it like why would what do you mean hey let's send let's have an executive and just give him 150 million dollars for every show just make six episodes it does not need to have any um pilot necessarily just just make it just make it put it out there whatever and i think the thing when i look at this and secret invasion was some was a big topic in this this article 
is they took the scripts that Kyle Bradstreet uh, wrote and tossed them things out, fired them. And there were production problems. They were running out of time to the point where there were conflicts with the actors in terms of they had other projects to do. So everything was a rush and everything that we have been talking about, not only on that show, but just generally over the past year and a half to two years has come to fruition in this story where we find out they absolutely do did not or do not know, because I think the question is still fair to be asked, do they know what they're doing? And I think it was alarming to me that when I see this and there are people on the internet, and I get it, part of it, it when you work in comic book media is, listen, you got a relationship with Disney, they send you the stuff, and you don't want to go too crazy on them and, and, and whatnot. But there is no way in hell that I'm going to read an article like that, and the takeaway that I have from it is, oh, they figured it out. Things are going to be okay. They're going to take the time. My question is, how the hell did we get to this point in the first place? And the fact, to me, that they put out what they pretty much decided, said to us, the customer, which is really the point of it. We are customers. We're paying customers. We are paying you to put out good product for us to be entertained. And you decided to just put out whatever the hell you wanted to put out for the, this amount of time and be like, hey, have it, enjoy it, whatever. Whatever it is, this is what it is. As opposed to actually taking the time to put in the work and have this done correctly. TV needs to be done a specific way. I feel like Jake has said this three million times. I feel like I've said it two million times. Mm -hmm. So I will cede the floor actually first to you, Rod, because, Rod, you are a writer. Rod, you are involved with... You, you've been involved with making a TV show and all of that. What did you make of this report? Because to me, I just, my mind was like, I, I almost lost it because, yo, they really tried to play with us. <laughs> I did see you up and down my timeline, like just being like, and what about this part? Have y'all got to this sentence yet? You know, um, I, I like I was more surprised that it was chaotic, you know, because I think, at least in my mind, I associate Kevin Feige with running a pretty tight ship. I know in the movies, he definitely runs a pretty tight ship. You very rarely get like serious mm -hmm. leaks. Uh, you can argue, obviously, the quality is up and down, but in g a general level of Marvel quality, typically is a through line. You know, it's, it's like, like yeah. we would be shocked if like the flat, like the Flash was a DC Marvel movie. We'd be like, it's over. Like we, we like we we'd honestly feel like this is this is the worst thing they've ever done. They can't come back yep. from this. So um, I was kind of surprised it was so disorganized. Not having a head like like a showrunner is. I can't even imagine doing a TV show without a showrunner. I like literally, where do you get your vision from? And if it's Feige, I can't imagine him seeing a vi different vision for so many different projects. It makes me wonder if behind the scenes there's like people are treated like the showrunner or something or the director is basically taking place of the showrunner because it has to be some command chain on a on a set. Or, it was or, usually an it was it was another executive would be another yes. producer. Yeah. OK. See, that's weird. That's you know, so that's super weird. Just um, thinking about the way the chain of command works on a TV show. 
I can't even imagine walking into an executive's office. You know what I'm mean? like? I can't even yeah. like, like showing up at HBO. Like, let me talk to you for a second, man. What do you want to do with episode mm-hmm. four? Like, like uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like a showrunner. Like, the, yeah, the whole reason a showrunner is a writer is because the product that like the pr- way a show is produced has to come from the writing of it. If the if decisions about the larger scope of the show are being made from a producer standpoint, that will inherently hurt the show because right. you you need to start with, like and the whole thing of them not having like a pilot script or whatever. That's not like I think the reason they didn't do that because they're like, well, we're going to make a secret invasion show, so why bother writing a pilot script? Why don't we just write all six script? It's like no, because mm. you need to have. You need to write the pilot script so you can make those production decisions. Like, okay, we have a pilot script. We know what sets we need. We know what characters we need. Like, once again, they really tried to reinvent the wheel in a way to try to have more control over it. Because clearly what Kevin Feige was afraid of, and this is because because in movies you can get away with the producer taking a really active role like this, is he was afraid of if they hired, like, the wrong head writer that the whole show would, like, be out of Marvel's vision, right? Yeah. And my response to that is tough shit don't go into television, ultimately. Mm-hmm. That, like, you can't, you need to have a singular voice behind, not a single voice necessarily, but a voice behind television. And not, it's not even that, like, I think that executives and producers are un- unable to be creative or unable to have a vision of some kind. It's just the decisions they have to make are so n- tied up in things that have nothing to do with the creative process. They can't. Like, Luis de Esposito or, you know, Victoria Alonso, other previous people who have sh- served in like these executive functions, they have to worry so much about other shit. They can't be making decisions creatively. And so the role of the executive needs to be the one who occasionally has to tell a showrunner no. Like that sucks, but it has to happen. Like that's the role. They can't be the one making the initial decision because then you can't, that's the, 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 the creative vision disjointed, you know, then the creative, the creative side then has to try to catch up with the executive's vision. Right. right. And I just, and by the way, I wanted to add one yeah. more thing no, too. Ahead. The other part of that was I was so impressed because how did you even make anything good? Like, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes and look at the rankings of their shows, most of the Marvel, yeah. Marvel shows, the ones that happen under Disney Plus, are near the top. Other people have made Marvel shows. You know what I mean? And they're all near right. the bottom. It, like, it was worse than this when you had a showrunner and Ike Perlmutter did the Inhumans. That's like the worst Marvel show they've ever done. I'm like, oh, dude, how did I, yeah. I don't like it's it's Baxter eating a will of cheese in Anchorman. It, it is at I, one- I think it was a combination of a couple things. I think what happened was I think WandaVision was unique given that it actually was like Kevin Feige's idea. So like I think in that regard, he, he was lucky that his idea of melded with what the creative vision of the show was and i think like loki in part i think a lot of it is that it was made during covid and it was shot in uh england and so i think that there's just a way that they had more independence and then i think as it went on and as they were doing more things i think that they had less trusted people involved like the writers were like less people in their stable and they got scared and like i think a notable thing also also going down the list closer to now you got Miss Marvel that that banged. She Hulk was yeah. I, like they had so much creative freedom in She Hulk. I was by the last episode, I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, like you but know? the yeah. wild part, the How? wild part in 
it, it, which is crazy because in that story it says that Jessica Gao, who's the head, who was the head writer of She Hulk, got sidelined by the director. Yeah, what is so, like? How did they pull that? How is anything good? <laughs> like that's how it's. The, I read the article. I was like. But some of this was good to me. I like. I'm not gonna take it away. Right. From no. You. No. You're right. You're right. What? Was you Absolutely. just lucked into it? Did you just, some? It randomly. I, mean, I think the thing. I think the thing with Shield was that even though Jessica Gaga got fired, they gave it to the director, who's also a creative person. Like it feels like the thing about Secret Invasion is that it was run by the executives. Like that is really yeah. like I think that ultimately, obviously, this showrunner should be the head writer. But if the showrunner mm-hmm. is the like head director, that mm-hmm. at least is better like that, that and also think with she too is that eventually went back like jessica gal ran it when they're writing it and then when in production it was run by uh cat coro and then it eventually went back to jessica gal i think in post-production okay. so like yeah. they ended up and like that's sort of like believe me t- tv is chaos like there are yeah, people getting is. fired and fired all the it time is. but once again the idea of making a show where it is from inception from right. the executive that is like a no non-starter. You can't do that's that. like it's chaos that, but it's something that is organized that devolves into chaos as opposed to mm-hmm. starting with chaos, creating something chaos on the back end, and then every like and then like a good chunk of them being like, well, that was good. So mm-hmm. how did you make it? That's maybe that's why you can't repeat it. Is it's good one time and then the next time it's chaos and then maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, if anything, like, it kind of speaks to the reason that the writer's strike took place. Mm-hmm. I think if and if anything, this was a bright neon sign that, hey, this might not work, guys. You're getting away with it now, but just the idea of, in a lot of ways, burning money mm-hmm. to... Because you don't have to spend a hundred and fifty million dollars on the shows, and, and like they're like, okay, we got Kyle Bradshery to, for to work on it for a year. It's like, okay, you could do that, or you could, I don't know, it's a six episode show. You could get a bunch of writers. Well, let's call it a writers' room, a room of writers. You could hire multiple writers to work on it together and break it together, maybe over a couple months. And yeah, technically speaking, you might pay a little bit more money, but it'll take less time to have more coherent vision. No, no one's ever done that before. That's not the way that we've been doing it forever. <laughs> and I, I do want to guy that even yeah, with yeah. a showrunner, there's different styles of showrunner and stuff. So like some yeah. are like heavy into writing. Uh, some are more into like the vision and coordinating stuff. And then there's mm-hmm. different types of shows and stuff, you know. Uh, some of these shows are a little more quirky than the other shows as far as like you can feel the difference in each episode of each director and stuff but just what what they've been doing it, it I can see why they're changing it and a lot of people think it's I think it's kind of still giving them too much credit when they kind of quote you know like oh yeah Kevin Feige you saw the issues it's literally in the WGA contract you can't just keep yeah. running rooms this way. So it's not like they mm-hmm. had a choice. The only choice they would have had with, like, say, Daredevil is we're just now officially going to put people in different roles, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're going right. to make this show. Overhauling the writer's room or whatever uh, and really starting to do it by the contract, I, f- I don't know. Part of me feels like they're getting a little too much credit on the back end. Yeah, of like, for sure. They had I, this idea. Well, no, you didn't. That's the one that I want. <laughs> no, they didn't. This was, this was the hand being forced and... I mean, I think there was stuff that I heard about Daredevil prior to this happening, 
where you would just hear that, oh, there might be a storyline that fans won't be happy with. There might be, they might kill off your, one of your favorite characters for not really a, a significant reason and then have then have Matt Murdock uh, not suit up till episode four. It's just like, okay, all right, man. Like, what is happening? That's the, I, good, and, that's and the that's, good thing about Kevin Feige, though, is he is mm-hmm. such a nerd. I, he, I'm sure he looked at that shit and said, nope, start all the way over. Like that part, that part, because he didn't have to get rid of everyone. He could have just been like, you're the showrunner now, you're the head right. writer, run the room. But whatever they came up yeah. with, he must have been like, fuck this whole thing. Yeah. I, yes. I will say that the thing that was good news out of it, in my opinion, was the report you don't want to hear is after filming four episodes, they're firing everyone and going forward. I would much rather hear after four episodes, they're scrapping most of it. Like, obviously, that's bad in terms of, like, a time standpoint, but I'm yeah. much more confident if, if they're going to rethink it. And, you know, I, it's just, like, it's it, it's annoying that it took them this long. I'm willing to, if they, I want to see if they actually do commit to the change. If it is, if it seems like these shows have a more coherent vision, then I will give them credit then. Like, I'm not, a, even though it's obvious with these gigantic corporations, I'm yeah. I, I I'm not in the business of if they make good changes saying like you should have done it earlier because like then they'll you know whatever so like I'll give him credit if it ends up you know seeming like they actually made changes but if you, if it feels like this was just a long winded press release for them to say we're gonna start following the new WGA guidelines then like I'll still I'll say the things I've been saying for four million more times that's yeah. kind of that's that's kind of where I stand on it too. Um, like I said, reading this, cause this is the stuff that you hear about at Warner brothers. Yeah. So like, this is this type of stuff. This is the first time you hear it to that level. And this has kind of just been a trickling down effect for the last year. Started with the VFX, started, uh, continue with Victoria Alonso, continue mm-hmm. with a lot of these different things you, that you hear about the show or the movie having this mandate, this director's kind of going off the rails and, not you know adhering to the stuff and and in a lot of ways in the movie sometimes even Kevin Feige overseeing too much mm-hmm. there's they, like there's all of that when you put all of that together you get what we have right now where people are kind of looking at the MCU for the first time like oh no this is it's a catch good. 22 so, right because we at yeah. once kind of want to know there's a plan and an overall vision and everything's leading somewhere but we also kind of don't yeah. want to feel that hand, right? We want to like, yes. like, like we yeah. don't want to be like, this is just a trailer for Thor in the middle of Iron Man. We want to feel like, oh, <laughs> we're excited about Thor while watching Iron Man, but just don't wedge it in there. And it was getting kind of wedgy the last like couple years. It was very yeah. like, this is the next movie coming. So stick around and expect the trailer for that at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, once yeah. you get to that formulaic feeling, I think you lose people. Yes, and I and I and I promise to everybody. I am, and I said this on Twitter. I am an optimist. I do believe that mm-hmm. things will eventually find a way back. But I also will not just read that and look at it like, "Yo, this is crazy." So it just is. just to it keep is. that in perspective, it is crazy. You can't put it any other way. So just to put that part in perspective, we'll see what happens. But it is notable that I mean, listen, Daredevil's an eighteen-episode series. So like, however they—that's not an easy, 
that's a long <laughs> shoot. That thing is supposed to be shooting for about a calendar year. Mm-hmm. So whenever they start back up, it's going to take I mean, I don't even want to know where Charlie Cox's hairline is by the end of the 1800s. <laughs> They're going to take it forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Charlie so Cox kind of so No, I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I'm not doing too great myself either. I can relate. I mean... <laughs> So I, I, I'm, I, when I'm his age, it'll be much worse. So I, you know. So, so we'll see what happens, man. But yeah, it was something that we had to talk about because um, it, 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 you know, it, it took me by surprise. Yeah. Like that was a very surprising thing to see. So we'll see what happens going forward, and uh, you know, we'll continue to try and enjoy the MCU. Um, also, one last little nugget I'll add. Uh, Jake, a couple weeks ago, we did this uh, little. Jake had this little take that um, that the Marvels uh, was gonna be it's gonna be rough at the box office. No, specifically, them. specifically, it was that about the Battle of Songbirds and Snakes will be outgross the Marvels by over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Ooh. Was my take. And, uh, it's, and it's and Jake right now is uh, looks like he's in the poll. The long term tracking for the Marvels, I believe, was like what was it 185 domestic or something like that total and if that is the number then i should go to vegas because my predictions are incredible <laughs> that i will win walking away i hope it's better i really do because i want that we do well but woof. yeah that 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 did not hopefully word them out hopefully um, it's good and word them out yeah it, you know yeah i think you know it with with everything still going on with sag after yeah. and right. and the the breaking off of talks earlier this week Obviously, if you can't have the actors promote the movie, that is yep. a big killer. Especially it, it, with like, those and, you know, actresses we'll... that are such charismatic people that, like, oh my god! Yeah. Like, I watched Miss Marvel and said that is a movie star. That get her off the small screen. Yeah, it really is. And now they're gonna just yeah. they're gonna whiff on this with this with the actor strike and not even get to oh, take advantage of that. It's tough. Oh man, just tough stuff. But uh, we'll you know we'll see what happens as we get closer to the Marvels. We'll continue to cover Loki. Um, as always, this show has been a lot of fun. Rod, thank you for joining us, brother. Again, appreciate you as always. Yes, sir. Uh, get in your plugs, man. Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Just go to the black guy who tips, uh, dot com or search the black guy who tips on any podcast app. Uh, it's, it's, it, you'll get into it and, and enjoy that. It's me and my wife talking pop culture and news and stuff. And, um, the other thing you can do is check out the podcast, Drape Tomaniacs, put in D R A P E. It'll it'll automatically pop up in your podcast feed. Uh, I know it's hard to spell, <laughs> but Drapetomaniacs uh, Unshackle History. It's about Black history, but it's also like unknown stories. It's funny. It's comedy. It's sketch. And I think uh, and I wrote a lot of it. Okay, so I think you'll recognize my voice and enjoy enjoy the the jokes, but also you'll learn a lot about Black history. Yes, Rod is a very talented brother. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you for joining us once more. Jay Christie, where can we find you, sir? You can find me on Twitter at the Jay Christie. Listen to my other podcast, Love at First Psych. We talk about the USA Network original series Psych. We're on episode, we're sorry, Eden season four. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So check that out if you're so inclined. Yes. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. Follow the show on all platforms at MC University Pod. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Continue to build that. And of course, the Patreon, as I mentioned at the top. Appreciate everybody for supporting and listening. Also, make sure you five-star on both Spotify and Apple. Do that five-star thing. And, uh, yeah, the, the the Loki ride continues. Um, it'll be interesting when we get to the finale of Loki and the Marvels at the same exact week, same exact time. So 
that's going to be a hell of a week. But we're a few weeks from that. Should be a lot of fun. For Anthony Mays, for Rod Morrow, for Jake Christie, I'm Anthony Kantz on the 3rd. This has been Marvel Cinematic University. We'll talk to you next time.